everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Movie Geeks United, our monthly Blu-ray report. Tonight, we're discussing the May releases. That is correct. May 2023. And I'm going to be doing something kind of fun. Uh, I'm going to be posting a video uh, thing, like a real short thing, uh, where people can actually see these titles uh, after. But I'm not going to be posting it until after we post our episode. So if anybody wants to physically see these titles, because I have had some people say, uh, you know, I'd like to see them. So uh, for anybody who wants to physically see them, I will be doing that. Absolutely. So so to see that, follow you on Facebook, and is your YouTube channel the same name, Adam Long, or what? Yes, that, that is all uh, the same. And uh, I, I can uh, – we, maybe we can get a link up on our page too. Uh, you know, it will be fun. Uh, so, you know, just for yeah, people who – Yeah, that's true. Well, I'll, I'll, of course I'll put the link on our page. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all, <laughs> that's all good. Uh, but it's just something new I'm trying. You know, uh, I've had a few people who said, we'd like to see them. And I said, okay, so let's, yeah, let's be do good. it. I'm, I'm up for that. And, it, and these are just going to be short. Like I said, I'm not going to be really, you know, it's just kind of like, here's what it looks like. Here's a little capsule take on it and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, uh, so moving along to other business. You can't uh, get the to- whole story from sound alone. <laughs> well, they, there is a video component involved, that is for sure. So uh, anyway, so a lot of people want- say, Jamie, I want to see you when you're doing your podcast. I'm like, why would you want to see me in my underwear? I, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to see ourselves, so uh, we we don't. We're not sure you want to see us either. But nevertheless, I appreciate the feedback. I, I do. It means a lot, and appreciate the people who are loyal listeners who look forward to these. Shows because I do hear from you from time to time and it, it really does mean a lot. It really does. Uh, so um, you know you're just you followed us all this time and continue to do so. And so we we thank you. We thank you. So uh, and you know who you are. So uh, yeah. So do we want to talk uh, Indiana Jones? Because uh, I did see it. I did see the new Indiana Jones. Um, yeah. I can discuss it very quickly. Uh, don't you know? I don't want to. Give spoilers away, you know. I'm very careful about that. But let's just say, you know, there's been a lot of talk about it being, war, uh, you know, not quite as bad as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, a little bit better. I think it's probably maybe a little lesser, in my opinion. I, Crystal Skull is not a great film. I mean, let's be honest, it is not. But it has some well orchestrated action sequences uh, via Mr. Spielberg. You know, he's it's it's hard for him to completely screw up uh, an action film. And so there are some some impressive sequences. I mean, it does fail in certain areas, as we know. Uh, In the new one, uh, I think James Mangold does a pretty good job orchestrating action sequences as well. But uh, the first two acts of the film are pretty, pretty good stuff. Uh, It opens in 1942 with uh, this uh, D.H., 
Harrison Ford, which that's pretty convincing. I thought they did a really good job with the de-aging stuff, although they still haven't worked out the logistics of an 80-year-old actor being de-aged. The movements don't match the right, uh, right. face. Just same thing as the Irishman, but we, we've talked about that. But ad nauseum, I guess. But uh, And the voice. That's interesting, too, because <laughs> it's the 80-something-year-old uh, Harrison Ford, his voice, with this very much younger man, uh, you know. But uh, again, uh, you can you can kind of uh, suspend your disbelief and go along with that, and it's uh, it's pretty good. Uh, and then there's a, there's a, you know it immediately goes to 1969, and he's on a mission, um, which kind of ties into the 1942 uh, thing, a prologue that's set up at the beginning of the film. So those first two acts are pretty, you know, you can kind of go along that you can feel the seams a little bit here and there but it's cobbled together enough to where you you kind of go along with it and then when it gets to the third act uh it just gets really overly complicated the plot does there's a lot of we got to go here to get this and we got to go there to get that so we can find this and uh, you're instantly reminded that the beauty and the joy of the original Raiders of the Lost Ark is that the premise is set up in about 10 minutes and we're off to the races and for the rest of the film you know, we're just trying to get the Ark of the Covenant. That's there's none of this, you know, all this other stuff that we have to hurdles we have to jump through to get the Ark of the Covenant. And so that's the beauty and the simplicity of well, the Temple you know, of Doom. Uh, Once it settles into its main location, that's it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and you have that incredible opening set piece in Temple of Doom. You know, a lot, there are some naysayers on Temple of Doom. I'm, in fact, somebody, one of my fellow critics came out of the theater and he said, well, I thought it was, uh, you know, it's Temple of Doom is probably my least favorite or something like that, or this would rate higher than that. I said, no, 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 I disagree. I said, because that opening 20, 25 minute set piece is some of the best filmmaking in Steven Spielberg's career. Uh, it's yeah. just uh, jaw droppingly good. I, I can't, I still, every time I see it, it raises goosebumps. And so this latest one, just the last act, really, you're you're really feeling that two hour and twenty five minute runtime. I mean, you're rolling your eyes at this point, thinking, okay, you know, it's just uh, there's, you know, and and they throw in the uh, the you know the the ethnic kid who doesn't know how to fly a plane, and then he does, and then they've got the the evil Nazi who has to survive until he he you know until he is finally destroyed in the third act you know and there's of course you know that's that's not really a spoiler i think everybody knows that um you know there's it's a lot of just callbacks to the earlier series uh, you know just repeating things that we've seen before just a real air of familiarity um but uh you know it's uh, it, it's it does have a good conclusion i guess you would say like the concluding five minutes it feels really good there's a good sense of closure there and it puts a smile on your face and so you leave in a pretty good mood after that uh, very difficult third act but uh, um you know the, it's it's it definitely has its challenges there uh several of my fellow critics said well i just really liked it i really and i think they're of a younger generation not having seen the original indiana jones films in the theaters i've seen them all in the theater uh because i'm old enough to have done that and you when you experience them as they were first released each time, you can definitely feel the uh, law of diminishing returns with this one, I think. I guess it's your point of reference that will allow you to enjoy it or 
maybe more or less. But uh, it's definitely, in my opinion, the least of the series. I just feel like it has a feel of filmmaking by committee, I guess you would say. Um, like I said, it's it's shot by Feedin' Papa Michael, who did the um, Sideways, among many other things. I think he's worked with uh, James Mangold quite a bit. I believe he might have shot Ford v. Ferrari, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, they've worked together. Yeah. We can yeah. call it right now. I have him on my Skype. Uh-huh. Do you want to well, share your criticisms? <laughs> I thought it was fine. The lensing was fine. I had a problem with the editing, to tell you the truth, because Mike Kahn, who's uh, Spielberg's, uh, you know, a longtime editor who's worked with him on everything, I believe, since um, Close Encounters. He might have missed one or two titles there, but there aren't many that he's not worked with Spielberg on. I think maybe all of them. Uh, you know, he worked certainly on all the other Indiana Jones films, and I think he his touch is missed because he knew how to assemble these action sequences and put them together in a, in a very cohesive way. You've got a team of editors here. There are three or maybe four. I can't remember. And it really, really just feels like it's – they're really a poor substitute for the great Mike Kahn. So um, anyway, it's uh, is not – Is this CGI to death? Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. And uh, it's not to the point where – You know what I never understood? The criticism of Crystal Skull, uh, see, I I just, my complaint about Crystal Skull is that probably all my complaints about Crystal Skull emanate from George Lucas. Yes. You know, the the kiddish stuff in Crystal Skull. Oh, yes. Absolutely. The staging and everything else is pretty flawless. Spot on. Yeah. But I, I never understood why people had a thing about the alien subplot. As if that's less realistic than the spirits coming out of the ark and the guy's face melting off, like mm-hmm. <laughs> or Mulder Ram tearing the guy's heart out, or and the guy's still living, and it's like the, the aliens are what you have a problem with because that, that's the step too far. Right, right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, you have to have a certain uh, suspension of disbelief with these films, anyway. I mean, that's just part of the par for the course, but. Uh, you know, nevertheless, I um, I I thought it was okay, but I certainly can't give it a glowing recommendation. Uh, I think people who are diehard fans of the Indiana Jones films and are and certainly the people who are in our age group, they're really going to, you know, have some quibbles with it. I believe so. Mixed bag for Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny. Now, that's really the only new summer quote-unquote release that i've seen because frankly it's the only thing i've been interested in seeing the last two months uh i think i don't know if it's something going on with me or if the just quality of the films are less i heard uh you know tarantino came out again there was a press item about him saying you know movies died in 2019 and i don't know i think he may be on to something i hate to say it um the theatrical films because even films from directors whose work I typically look forward to, even they've been off the mark since the uh, COVID situation that we all went through. And I just feel like I call I have a word for it. It's called second tier post COVID uh, film slate is what we're seeing is what I call it. And uh, and basically everything fits that mold that I'm seeing pretty much. I, I've learned to really temper my enthusiasm for anything. And I oh, really we had a get together for our North Carolina film critics out here. And we had a social and everybody was asking each other, what are you so exciting? What are you most excited about this summer? And I said, nothing, absolutely nothing except the Indiana Jones and which 
as I just said, that was a disappointment. And then Oppenheimer's the only one left. So, uh, and I'm, you know, who knows about that? Because Chris Nolan, he's for me hit and miss. So I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm the lone soldier who feels this way. But uh, just, it's just not getting any better. In the indie film scene, I was just reading an article about that. They said in the first uh, quarter, first two quarters, I think there was only one indie film, and that was Book Club Two. And that's, you know, when you use the term indie with Book Club Two, that's kind of <laughs> a stretch. But that was the only thing resembling an indie film that even made the top 50, I think, in terms of moneymakers. So that's kind of where we're at in the business uh, mold these days. If you're and, and again, I don't mind sequels. I don't mind franchises. That's not the problem. It's just these things are so derivative of things that we've seen before. If you're going to take these franchises and properties, just, you know, $350 million for a for Fast X. For a movie about you know basically drag yeah, racing, which sounds like a which sounds like a constipation medicine, doesn't it? Fast X, <laughs> take does. Fast X. It does. It does. It'll clear you out. Yeah, but you you feel free to uh, put the uh, meme of the old man shouting at the clouds uh, on this one if you want to. It's fine. Uh, but I just, you know, I'm, I, and I don't want to. I don't know. If Indiana Jones, if, you know, movies are different now than they used to be. And maybe Indiana Jones is, is befitting of its archaeology subplot. Maybe it should be looked upon as kind of a relic. So maybe their metric should be, <laughs> uh, if Dial of Destiny were released in 1981, would it catch on the same as the original Raiders? Maybe that should be so. their barometer of quality. <laughs> I I'm not so sure. I don't. Think and if it that, would, uh, if they don't think it would, then they shouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't think the sense of wonderment is there uh, that you had in the original Raiders of the Lost Ark. I just don't feel like it's there. Um, like I said, it, and there's five well, and we're older, dude. I, I mean, uh, wonderment for me isn't like wonderment for me isn't what it was when I was eight as an of adult. Not. You know. I totally agree. I mean, I mean Avatar Avatar would have been fucking mind-bending when I was a kid. But now it's like, oh, well, that's cool. It's an advanced technology. That looks cool. It looks convincing. And, you know, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm 49. You know, it, it's just, I don't know. You, it just feels like filmmaking by committee. That's my biggest complaint. It just, there's so many elements in the film that film like they feel like they were placed there just to please the shareholders of the Disney, uh, who own stake in Disney, it doesn't film like you know, uh, filmmaking done from the heart. You know, yeah, whereas, I mean, it's, uh, a fr it's franchise, it's IP, whatever yep. the hell that means, and intellectual property. Like I know what it stands for, but you know, it's like this <laughs> phrase that they throw around all the time, IP, IP, and it's it is is as impersonal as it sounds. Yes, it's true. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, uh, you know, and you, and you see these, you know, there's like five, four or five credited screenwriters and you think back to the original, which was penned by, you know, Lawrence Kasdan. I mean, obviously it was a George Lucas, uh, you know, it was his idea, but he farmed it out to Lawrence Kasdan who did a beautiful job. You not, one guy's vision basically, or if you, two, if you and it was George done Lucas, cheaply. But, yes, exactly. You know, you didn't have a committee and it's basically he, he, you know, he turned in a script and they may have made a few adjustments here and there, and it's pretty much, you know, one guy's idea of what this should be. And so, you know, I think that's what we're missing. When you get too many voices in a room, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It can be, it can be just more noise than anything, I guess. So, 
anyway, uh, I'll say I'll I'll just leave it at that and uh, not try to belabor the point. But so what is it? A uh, C plus. I'd give it a B minus just to be generous. You know, there's enough in the first two acts to keep you somewhat invigorated and interested. It's just that third act that just collapses after during that um, for me. But there's no reason this movie needs to be two hours and 25 minutes. It's like everything else. It's a button-a-thon, and there's no reason for it. And so that's another problem. But um, anyway, the John Williams score is great, though. I'll say that. So. <laughs> yeah, thank as God always. For, thank God for people that are still doing old school scores. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's one of. The, and again, that's a. That's a. And you know, that's something that really bothers me is the fact that nobody seems to bring that up in their reviews. I seem to be the only person who picks up on that. Even my fellow critics never mention, you know, the the lack of. Well, you know, I pick up on it. Themes or you do. You do. Yeah, you're one of the few people. And it's just never mentioned, and people go on about their business reviewing these films, and they never – I keep waiting for that YouTube video. Maybe it's out there where somebody puts a side-by-side comparison of Superman the Movie's uh, music, a montage of their, the music from Superman the Movie versus uh, insert your Marvel film here, whatever it is, yeah, because they're all interchangeable. And I would love to see that comparison contrast. Uh, yeah, the movie. 90s were the gr- last great time for film scores. Absolutely. Really the yeah. last last period of time where we got melodic mm-hmm. themes. And every now and then you'll get one that slips in, like Phantom Thread uh, from a couple of years back was really good. That's one that I I could I have played it repeatedly, but it's the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to and look, and some and some things. dissident scores are work great. I mean. Mm-hmm. You mentioned yeah. Phantom Thread. You know, there will be blood is a dissonant score. It's, Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's not necessarily. It's not really melodic. Sometimes they work great. Yeah, that, that's the norm now. Like just, just yeah. like shit you can buy from Digital Juice to put on a corporate video. It's exactly. just yeah. like non, mm-hmm. <laughs> non unmemorable. unmemorable yeah music accompaniment you know yeah over the video of some guy telling you about the dangers of sexual harassment in the workplace (laughs) 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 that's what phil scores are now yeah yeah it's true i mean sadly yeah it's uh it's really you know kind of kind of sad yeah Uh, where it's where it's gone speaking um, of sad let's get to these may blu-rays (laughs) let's do it yeah let's do it um well we'll uh as we've done several i think for the last couple episodes we'll just go ahead and knock out all the kino lorber stuff uh the may 2023 i'll just knock all those out at one time because there's so many of them uh first off we have film noir the dark side of cinema volume 13 and this uh one includes spy hunt from 1950 starring um howard duff uh, the Night Runner, starring Ray Danton and um, Colleen Miller, Step Down to Terror, uh, and this is based on the same source material as Alfred Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt, and stars uh, Rod Taylor in an early role, um, along with Charles Drake. And uh, you get uh, new 2K Masters, new audio commentary by our uh, our fellow uh, former guest, rather Lee Gambin and Dr. Eloise Ross. New commentaries um, uh, also by Brian Reisman and Max Every and trailers. So 
There you go. Uh, the Anime Wong Collection is a, a collection featuring three Hollywood classics from the 30s, starring the screen icon Anime Wong. And um, these are from 1938-1939. It's uh, Dangerous to Know, King of Chinatown, Island of Lost Men. These have new audio commentaries by uh, Sam Deegan and Brian Reisman and Max Every and David DelVal and Stan Schaefer. David, David DelVal has been a former guest as well on our show. So. No, we've never had him. Has, hasn't he yet? No, he it had. seems like okay. he should have, but we've never had him. I, I have reached out to him and about oh, several I things. I stand corrected. I thought he we had him in the... He the... turned us down. Oh, wow. Fuck that guy. Too bad. <laughs> he's like a nice guy. Totally I kidding. I'm, 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 he's, I'm, he's, he does seem like a nice guy. Totally kidding. He really does. He's always been nice to me. I don't know. Uh, Kamikaze from 1986. This is uh, one of the early efforts from Luke Besson. He's co-director on this one. And um, it's a sci-fi comedy thriller. And this has an audio commentary with film historian Eddie Von Mueller and an interview with the, the co-director Didier Grousset and the trailer and a documentary on the uh, making of it. So there you go. The Experts uh, with John Travolta and Kelly Preston and Ari Gross. Yeah, and this is directed by Dave Thomas. I had always wanted to see this because obviously this is a film that John Travolta and Kelly Preston met on the set of this film, and so I had not seen it. And so I was curious. I heard it wasn't good. That was the reputation on this one. I think it was released. It was filmed in 87, sat on the shelf for two years, I believe, and finally released in early January of 89 for about a week or two before it went straight to video after that. So I tell you what, uh, I do like Kino Lorber's eccentricity, even though they're, they're titles that I'd be like, God, I would imagine that has such limited appeal, but who knows. But, you know, so they'll do like... They're coming out with hardcore soon, which is fine. I'm sure it's just the the, the Twilight Time package. Yeah, they did a and Malone. They're putting out Malone. I'm they're putting out Malone. That. Yes, they are on Blu-ray. Yes, <laughs> I, you know, I'll probably break down and get that. But then you see stuff like <laughs> Death Wish Five, and you know, they're yes. they're all over the place, and I kind of I kind of like that. But yeah, it's true. It has its charm. Yeah, well, you know, that it's uh well the experts is one of those films. I saw it I couldn't get past the first hour of it to be quite honest. And uh there is a great dance sequence uh with Kelly Preston and John Travolta that was pretty pretty amazing. But you know, it's a Cold War spy comedy, you know, where they're recruited to be uh spies for and they're uh basically knocked out with drugs and sent to Russia, but they don't know they're in Russia and it's that kind of thing. And they're, they're there under the guise that they're going to open a nightclub, uh, but they've got this little area built like to look like a small town in America. And it's, you know, it's way too plotty for what it is. <laughs> and Charles Martin Smith is their KGB operative. And uh, anyway, uh, like here's my invitation device. of John Travolta receiving a script in the eighties. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah, Two of a Kind is a horrible movie, but I still like watching it every once in a while. Uh, And it's got stuff like edible sunglasses and all that kind of stuff in it. It's like, wow. Yeah, and it's the same year as Staying Alive, uh, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. I'd really like to talk to the director of Two of a Kind. That would be an interesting conversation. Uh, He's not going to talk to me. me. I wish. I I mean, he's, he's trying. He's done better stuff, obviously, but. John Hertzfeld, I think, is his name. Yeah, this is the 40th anniversary. This is the year yeah. to do it, my man. Yeah. 
but uh because it's junk and yet you know they're two so appealing together yeah and the movie has such a great cast my god for junk yeah i know they had what to have known it was junk it. And was the script that bad when they read it, or was there something that was uh, eliminated during post-production? I mean, it makes you wonder, where where did it go wrong? Or did they just want to hop on the Olivia Newton-John Travolta train? Uh, Yeah. They thought it would be a popular movie. Yeah, because it makes you wonder, you know, if the script was as bad as the final product, why didn't they just toss the script in the wastebasket and say, "Uh, not for me? <laughs> now who is it? It's, so, it's, it's the Charles Durning, Gene Hackman as God, yes, Beatrice Strait and Scatman Crothers, and yeah, Oliver Reed. I mean, it's got this sledgehammer supporting cast. Yeah, it makes you wonder. Uh, you know, how how would they? Why would they sign on unless it's strictly for the money? Uh, if it was that bad to start with, so it makes me wonder if that makes me think that something went wrong somewhere along the line. But, um, but the experts, uh, yeah, I thought this would have possibility since it's directed by Dave Thomas, you know, who's good comic sensibility from uh, SCTV. But oh boy, it's uh, it's pretty bad. And I will say this about it though: this is the amazing thing. So I got a, I upgraded to a new projector. I, I have the Epson. 3800, which is, uh, you know, the one I had was a 4K projector, Optima 50 UHD, but it's about six years old, getting close to it. And so they do, you know, technology moves on. So I upgraded. And I, if this new projector I have really allows me to see things that I wasn't able to previously. And I put on the experts on this new projector. It's one of the first discs I checked out on it. And it was, the transfer was amazing. I got to mm-hmm. tell you. I was so blown away by this. It's a new HD master from a 4K scan of 35 millimeter negative, and it just had the inky blacks and the uh, the fine grain. The transfer was just. I thought the the transfer on this is amazing for a film that's just so bad. It was incredible. So uh, really looked good. Bad has never looked so good. (laughs) That that should be Keto's tagline for the company. Oh my man. Well, anyway, uh, it is what it is. So yeah, that was um, that was interesting. So we also have Stone Cold, which is uh, the film with Brian Bosworth, the uh, football star, and they were trying to make him into an action hero, in uh, an action film uh, star in 1991. This is the same around the same time that Steven Seagal was having his run of films, and I'm sure that they were inspired by that, trying to cash in on that. And actually, this is not the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, I know. There were some people who were actually requesting it and looking forward to it and hoping it would come out. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, basically, you, you know, you've got Brian Bosworth as a cop who's taken on a gang of Stone Cold killers. He infiltrates the gang. He's pretending to be one of them, essentially. And so he wants to, you know, he's trying to get in there and get the inside scoop so they can be apprehended. And then you got Lance Hendrickson as the uh, as the main villain. The main gang leader in this one. Uh, there's a couple of featurettes here. There's four of them actually, and then you get a commentary with Mike Leader and Arn Venema and theatrical trailers and TV spots. But again, it's a 2K scan from the original negative, but it looks really good. And so, and it's directed by Craig Argbaxley, who also did Action Jackson. And I, I remember Craig Arg Baxley's name first popping up on Cold Track the Night Stalker. I used to watch that when I was a kid. He was the 
he was the stunt coordinator on that show. And so then later on, he went on to direct some action films. And this is one of them. And I think he took over direction from somebody who was, I think there was another director involved and they left and he took over. So anyway, uh, uh, but Stone Cold has been issued by Kino Lorber. The Longest Yard has been issued in 4K. I don't think it was issued domestically on Blu-ray in America. I think overseas it was, but don't which, think Which one, original? Yeah, the original, Burt Reynolds, uh, Robert Aldrich. God, that sequel, that remake was awful. Yeah, it's really bad. Absolutely, yes. I remember the clip went around of the premiere of the remake. And uh, somebody was questioning Burt Reynolds, mm -hmm. not knowing that there was an original movie that he starred in. And uh, so they asked some naive question, and Reynolds slapped him across the face. <laughs> <laughs> love right there, that. the red carpet. <laughs> Would love to see it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's uh, it, I, I like The Longest Yard. I can't say that. I, I think it may be a little bit overrated. Uh, I like it a lot, but I don't love it. Um, well, that was a beloved movie back in the day. Man. It was, it was. Uh, but I do like it. It has a lot going for it. I was just watching the, uh, a couple months ago, I was watching the Carson episode that Reynolds went on to promote it. And Carson was just going on and on about how much he loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely has its moments. Uh, like I said, I, I, I like it. I can't say it's my favorite of the Burt Reynolds uh catalog but it's it's good it's solid and there is one really shocking death that seems to have been somewhat um reworked for fight club <laughs> because the, the one guy with the uh, i won't uh, spoil it if, well maybe i should it's a very old film almost 50 years at this point but anyway there's a there's one character in the film played by james hampton who's uh basically they they're they're trying to kill him and so they fill up a a light bulb with gasoline and screw it into the switch and so when he turns the light on he he explodes and so that was that was pretty shocking uh, i remember the first time i saw it and so you know it's there is that and of course they did kind of the same thing in fight club when they filled a bunch of tv tubes with gasoline and so when they plugged in the tvs and turned them on it's, it's kind of, i thought somebody liked uh, the longest yard uh, i believe well anyway a uh, good looking uh, ultra hd transfer here from the original camera negative and this is a 4k disc it's actual 4k release uh, you get a new commentary by the authors of whatever happened now robert aldrich his life in films you get a uh, the original audio commentary by burt reynolds and albert s ruddy that was on the original dvd and you get a featurette a um, couple of them featurettes and um you know this is uh, that's pretty much what he, you get. he was liked wasn't he robert aldrich aldrich oh yeah 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 a lot of people have uh, our, our big Robert, I know Tarantino is a huge Robert Aldrich fan. No, no, I mean in terms of just personally. Oh, personally, yes, yes, yes. I, I, well, they worked together the next year. Uh, no, I mean he was liked in general. Uh, he was and like by a, people. A good, yeah, by by people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not by machines, <laughs> but by people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think so. I, I think that he generally was got along with his yeah i don't ass. remember hearing anything about tyrant or you know anything no, like no, that no. i think he was a very very kind of workmanlike uh you know agreeable person yeah. you know yeah Efficient. but tarantino has yeah exactly he he did and tarantino brought up a good point i heard him on his podcast recently where he was talking about he did they did the choir boys they talked about that which is yeah. a robert aldridge film 
And he talks about the TV movie quality of some of his uh, films from the 70s. And he was still using the composer Frank Duvall. And he was probably the only person who was. Duvall was a television composer, and yet he insisted on using him on all yeah. of his films. Stuff like that. Just little touches that, you know, you know there was um, a television quality to a certain degree in his work during that period. However, I, uh, I think he, he turned out some really solid films. Uh, during that period so yeah. um yeah and hustle is another one from yeah. the following year that's a, a, from i remember that being an unusual movie it so is slightly very unusual much. yeah it's yeah he's uh burt reynolds is and this one also released this month by the way is he's uh burt reynolds is a uh, la detective who's drawn into a uh, the death of a teenage girl and catherine deneuve is one of the she knows a little something about it, and so they fall in love, and she's a call girl, and he's the cop, that kind of thing. So, um, anyway, I think they had a real romance off-screen, too, during oh, the making probably. of this film. And uh, who could blame him? <laughs> he had them all. Yeah. The town was his for the taking. <laughs> That's a very downbeat ending, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember it being unusual. I mean, I don't have vivid yeah. memories of it, but I, I, rem- and I remember there... Maybe there being a lot of plot that was unrelated to the, you know, the main crime thing. Mm-hmm. It seemed like there was a lot being explored, yeah. like the crime was almost secondary in plot. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misremembering. I think you're right. I think you're right. Bernard well, you know, Casey cast... or something? Or... Wasn't Bernard, yeah, think... Bernard Casey? Is that his name? Bernie Casey? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, I think he's one of the people, uh, Paul Winfield's in this. Paul, Paul Winfield, Winfield, okay. Yeah, it's Paul Winfield. Yeah. Uh, sir, uh, I get them confused too, so don't feel bad. Um, I really do. Yeah, but, you know, he did, uh, Robert Aldrich, he did, uh, cast well in his character parts. I'm looking at the cast, you know, on the longest yard, and, you know, you got Ed Lauder and Michael Conrad, Bernadette Peters, Richard Keel, Eddie Albert. Uh, James Hampton, as I mentioned, I mean, that's, you know, some really good casting there. And then he did the same thing on Hustle. He's got, you know, uh, Catherine Deneuve and Ben Johnson and Ernest Borgnine, Eddie Albert again, Paul Winfield, Eileen Brennan, Catherine Bach from yeah. Hazard of Jack Carter, James Hampton again. So, you know, really, really good casting. Yeah, I was film. looking through old newspapers at movie ads and stuff. Mm-hmm. And The Longest Yard popped up. Um and uh, all the newspaper ads were like a shirtless Burt Reynolds <laughs> <laughs> to draw him in. Of course, of course. Well, we've uh, well anyway. It's it's uh, been issued on Blu-ray, not 4K, but just Blu-ray for a Hustle. But I I like Hustle. I'm I'm a fan, so uh, it is good. I think it's about as good in terms of quality as The Longest Yard. I know a lot of people would disagree with me that say Longest Yard is miles ahead of it, but I I don't agree. I like them about the same. So. My personal taste. We have My Man Godfrey with uh, June Allison and David Niven. That's uh, the 1957 remake of the 1936 screwball comedy, which originally starred William Powell and Carol Lombard. This one, uh, you get a uh, commentary by Simon Abrams and a trailer. So, And you, uh, by the way, on Hustle, you only get a uh, commentary. That's the only extra, and it's by the authors of that Whatever Happened to Robert Aldrich book again. Joy House is uh, from 1964, and that's a film noir with Alain Delon, Jane Fonda, and Lola Albright. And basically, Alain Delon is um, 
he's on the run and he basically hides out of the house where these two sisters live played by Jane Fonda and Lola Albright and Jane Fonda falls for him and it's kind of a love triangle type thing uh, this is directed by Renee Clement uh, sorry Renee Clement I'll get it out and this is the film you know Jane Fonda had alluded to a director doing something inappropriate with her on the and I think she cited Renee Clement as being that guy I think this might have been the film where that happened not 100% sure. Mm. Uh, anyway, it's an interesting little film. I, I did uh, take this one in. It's a, it's not a, uh, it's a new 2K restoration, but it's not a, uh, an original scan from the negative or anything. But it looks fine. It's black and white. Um, and you get a commentary by Howard Esberger, Steve Mitchell, and Nathaniel Thompson. You got Night of the Hunter coming out in 4K for the first time ever. Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, and the, uh, the only, one and only film directed by Charles Lawton. This is a classic. I mean, what more can I say about it? Considered to be one of the great um, suspensers, I guess. Film noir, crime yeah, drama, really whatever is. you want to call it. Yeah, it's one of the great ones. Uh, you get a new commentary by Tim Lucas. You get the isolated music and effects track. You get Ernest Dickerson in a featurette on Night of the Hunter. Uh, you Who get shot the, that? Stanley Cortez? I believe so. I think so. Yeah, yeah it's a gorgeous movie. God really is. I did not get a review copy of this. I can't attest to the quality, so I went ahead and bought one, and it's on the way, so I have it. I'm waiting on it to come. The important uh, thing to remember about <laughs> excuse me, yeah, about Night of the Hunter is um, that it really is a, like a child's nightmare. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because there, I remember watching it with Rick years ago, and he was like, God, it's just a silly shot. He's, he's running up the stairs after him like he's Frankenstein or something. It's a child's view of you know, a nightmare. Sure. There's a reason yeah. why they're on the river singing with frogs in one section of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> feed. Yeah. Yeah, it's done from their perspective, and you have to keep that in mind. That's a good point, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, you know, Night of the Hunter, and it's funny because this was originally a Criterion release on Blu-ray, and uh, I would think Criterion would do the 4K upgrade, but nope, that's Kino doing it. So yeah, anyway, there you them. go. Film Noir, The Dark Side of Cinema, Volume 14. Contains, Jesus, didn't we just do 13? We just did, yep. And oh. there's yet another one this month. Wow. Or last month, I should say. Undercover Girl, 1950. One-Way Street, 1950. An Appointment with a Shadow, 1957. New commentary by Julie Kurgo, our, another previous guest. Uh, and Lee Gambin and Elisa Rose and David DelVal and David DeCocteau doing the honors for commentaries on the Those must new- do well for them, those boxes. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I do believe so. So anyway, those are the Kino titles for the month of, that would be for the month of, um, yeah, May. So, Straight Time has never had a decent release, has it, or has it? Yeah, it's this is Blu-ray uh, from Warner Archive, looks great, and okay. it has a commentary, uh, I think with Dustin Hoffman and Yuli Grossbard, I believe. Really? Wow. Yeah. So it's well worth your time if you okay. have not picked it up. I, I was would about say, to say that should that sounds like a prime criterion really straight time. I wish it would be, but it's uh, it's just got the commentary. That's it. But they did do a new frame by frame. Uh, trans- they did a you know two K restoration, I guess it yeah. was. Or 2K I mean, the commentary is really all I care about anyway. Uh, yeah. You know, I I I have limited interest in the in the. The corporate produced uh, behind the scenes, uh, you know, the talking heads and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Unless it's like a feature-length exploration, that, you know, really good. And usually they aren't. Usually they're just very surfacey and. That's true. Very clip-heavy too. But so. the scene-by-scene <laughs> commentaries are uh, those are my favorite. So if those are included, that's enough to encourage me to buy. Yeah. That's uh, well. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Straight times out there. I have it, and it. Uh, I would vouch for it. It is great. My. My mother and I watched that again about a year ago, I guess it was, and she had never seen it, actually. She really should, enjoyed it. should have an isolated score. That score should be available. Oh, my gosh, yes. I'm so shocked that that's not out there on, uh, uh, you know, has not been issued, at least in a limited edition. Another of the great run of 70s David Shire scores, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I always used to get his scores confused with Michael Small, because they did, you know, there were yeah, so many. Yeah, Shire's far more distinguished i that's far i mean i like some of my i, I like clute yes right um, especially and man marathon man i think he did too michael small I and he did uh, um, parallax Beat? parallax yeah yeah that's and right, i like man. that I, i'll listen to that score too very good yes absolutely well we'll move on to criterion for the month of may we have wings of desire they call it one of cinema's loveliest city symphonies um, with Bruno Gans and um, uh, yeah, this is directed by Vim Benders, of course. Uh, and you get a com- the original commentary with Vim Benders and actor Peter Falk. Uh, the Angels Among Us, which is a one of those documentaries like you're talking about, which is a full-length documentary featuring Peter Falk, Vim Benders, Bruno Gans, yada yada yada. You ever see the extended cut uh, until the end of the world? Like the five-hour cut. Did. I remember when they put it out, but I never got around to it. Is it? Is it? Good? I got through. Is I got through half of it. I, remember, ah, I, t- I taped ah. it off of TMZ one night, or just T TMS Turner Classic with TCM. Confusing that with TMZ. Yeah, TMZ had the five-hour cut of a vendor's film. No, and I got through like half of it, and I was like, I just can't. Enough. I get it. Yep. There's only so much a man can do. Great soundtrack, though. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I was hoping to get a review copy of Wings of Desire, but I did not. I guess I'm probably, when the uh, Criterion sale pops up, I'm probably going to pick this one up. Just waiting for the sale. Deleted scenes and outtakes and the interview with the director of photography, Andre Alakin. So uh, those are some of the extras you get. Branded to Kill is another Criterion release. Oh, this is... um, from the Japanese, they call him the New Wave Bad Boy, Saijun Suzuki. And it's, um, yeah, it was, um, I think he was fired when he delivered his cut of this film. It was kind of controversial. Mm. Um, but anyway, I'm not really familiar with it. I've heard the title, but did not get a review copy, didn't get a chance to see it. But you do get, uh, an interview with the director and his assistant director and an interview with, um, the director by himself from 1997. And, and one of the actors. So, anyway, speaking Tar- of commentaries, have you ever have you ever listened to the Spartan commentary, the David Mamet movie? No, I haven't. Is it good? For some reason, there's a two minute clip that's been going around. It's a 2004 movie, but Val Kilmer mm-hmm. does a commentary on it, and he shit talks Mamet throughout the whole thing. <laughs> Just talks about how much how, how much of an unpleasant person he is, how he's terrible at cutting the movie, and how nobody likes him, and. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's too funny. Oh, that would be good to hear. I may have to look that one up. Yeah. Well, I realized I just left out one uh, keynote title. There's no tomorrow, directed by Max Ophuls. Actually, two. 
I left out. And uh, this is uh, a melodrama. Um, it's about a woman of bourgeoisie origin now reduced to dancing in a disreputable nightclub to support her son. And it stars, um, oh, who does it star? Um, I'm not familiar with any of these people. But anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, like I said, from 1939, actually. And this is uh, There's No Tomorrow, directed by Max Ovals, with a new commentary by film historian Adrian Martin. So anyway, The Sorrow and the Pity is uh, the masterpiece, landmark documentary, whatever you want to call it. This is uh, referenced many times in the film Annie Hall. That's where I first became aware of it, as, as I'm sure many people did. And it's been in really bad-looking prints up until now. And it's the four, I think it's close to four and a half hours. Uh, it's a documentary about France's occupation by Germany during World War II and how they just kind of went along with it and didn't really put up much of a fight. And it's a new 2K restoration. looks really good. Uh, this A lot of people quibbled with the fact that this won the... Uh, it was nominated for Best Academy, uh, Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature, but the Hellstrom Chronicle beat it out, and a lot of people have been angry about that since then. Uh, I think it's a, a good film, but I also like the Hellstrom Chronicle, so I couldn't argue with either one of what those. What year is it? 71 is when it was okay. released stateside. I think it was actually released in 1969 in France. Uh, but it made its way here in 71. But anyway, it's, it's um, divided onto two discs. You get uh, half of the film, two hours and six minutes, and then you get the other two hours and 13 minutes on another disc. And a Marcel Ophel's visual history. He's the director, which is about 40 minutes. So The Sorrow and the Pity. And so we'll get back to the Criterion titles. Targets. The film debut for director Peter Bogdanovich from 1968, finally making its way to Blu-ray for the first time ever. This is a very prescient film. Uh, prescient, they call it a prescient vision of American-made carnage. We have Boris Karloff as a version of himself. He's an aging horror movie icon whose fate intersects with that of a, uh, a psycho on a shooting spree, basically, around Los Angeles. And it's very interesting because it was filmed, you know, obviously in L.A. And so you get it. It's a great snapshot of Los Angeles in the late 60s, but it's also a very, um, a uh, very tense thriller that was well ahead of its time, and it was very controversial even when it came out. Uh, but it's it's a very powerful movie. Yeah, I, I love say. it. <clears throat> I do too. Yeah, I'm so glad that it uh, got a uh, uh, that it got its due on Blu-ray. Finally, I think it's funny that it was a Corbin movie, right? I mean, it was a. I think originally, yeah, and Paramount picked it up for distribution. Yeah. And then Corman was like, "Okay, you have Karloff for two more days or whatever," and so he had to he had to find a way to blend in Karloff to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it was, it's, you know, it's a example of a, of one of those crazy challenges that he, that he, he really came through on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Very true. And he did quite well, beautifully well, I would say. Yeah. There's some new, there's some, well, I don't know if they're new extras, but uh, there's some ported over extras. It doesn't look like there's anything new actually. Except for a new essay by critic uh, Adam Naiman in the uh, Blu-ray edition, and excerpts from from an interview with Bogdanovich from Eric Sherman and Martin Rubin's book, The Director's Event. But you do get the 2003 commentary from Bogdanovich, which he was on the original DVD. A new interview with filmmaker Richard Linklater, introduction to the film from 2003 by Bogdanovich, and excerpts from a 1983 interview with production designer Polly Platt. So targets being issued for the first time on Blu-ray. And uh, Petite, 
Petiti Maman is uh, Celine Sciamma's follow-up to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Nothing new on this one. This is a 2021 film, but uh, nothing new here except a new conversation between the director and filmmaker Joaquin Trier and the trailers. So uh, anyway, I didn't see that one, so I can't really comment too much about it. And then finally, we have the 4K, first time ever 4K release of Thelma and Louise, the landmark film uh, directed by Ridley Scott and written by Callie Corey. Are we still on Criterion? We are. This is the final one. Yep. Hmm. And so uh, Thelma and Louise from 1991. I think everybody's pretty familiar with that who's listening here. I don't need to recite the uh, the plot of that again. Nominated for six, six Academy Awards, of course. And, um, you know, they call it the ultimate ode to ride or die female friendship. Two commentaries. I think this was previously maybe a Criterion Laserdisc. I can't remember. Or maybe a, I don't know. Maybe it's the first time ever on Criterion. I can't remember. Two commentaries featuring Ridley Scott, the screenwriter Callie Corey, and the actors Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. New interviews with Ridley Scott and Callie Corey. Um, a documentary featuring most of the cast and uh, crew as well, and the uh, writer-director. Boy on Bicycle, Scott's Ridley Scott's first short film from 1965. A theatrical featurette, storyboards, deleted extended scenes, music video for Glenn Fry's Part of Me, Part of You, trailers, and an essay booklet. So there you go, Thelma and Louise. So that uh, pretty much covers the Criterion films. So we'll move along now that we've gotten Kino and Criterion for the month. We'll go go along here with um, the other stuff. Uh, Paramount has issued Deep Impact on 4K disc for the first time ever. It's been previously issued on Blu-ray. No new extras. The special features from the previous Blu-ray have been ported over. But it looks great. Sounds great. This is the um, Earth on a Collision course with the... Um, you know, with the the big uh, the the meteorite, or what have you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Comet, whatever. Anyway, it's Mimi letter. Large that's, scale. that's the Mimi letter version, right? Yeah, that's right. Because they are yeah. well, the, that and Armageddon yeah. were opposing asteroids. Right, right, Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah, asteroid is what I meant. Deep impact. The Morgan Freeman was so, president, right? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. There's convincing. a scene where Robert Duvall is reading from a book to a uh, blind God what's that actor's name He used to be in a lot of stuff Oh, oh He has his gosh. eyes injured in the deep impact And he's blind And Robert Duvall's trying to comfort him on the spaceship By reading something to yeah, him Yeah I can't remember the yeah, I can't remember the actor yet, but not, the, uh, God about, he yeah. was in everything Why can't, mm-hmm. man, man that's weird That his name just escapes uh, me And it's weird that he just Disappeared Yeah that Hang does on. happen. This isn't. This is frustrating me. Hang on, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna find <laughs> look his him up. Name. Look him up. Deep Impact. His name is. Survey said. Oh, where the hell is he in this? Am I thinking of the wrong movie? You're not thinking about uh, Contact, are you? With. Uh... No, it's Robert Duvall right here. Ron Eldred. Okay. Yeah. Ron Eldred, is that the guy? I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, he, okay, he was in Super 8. Mm-hmm. Some Black Hawk Down. But it looks like he hasn't done anything since, uh, he hasn't done anything in many years. Wow, that's shocking. 
I mean, mm. he, he was in a lot of sleepers and scent of a woman. And, yeah. Huh. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you never know. Yeah, he was on fire there for a while. You're right. True. Well, move along to um, another Paramount title, Dungeons and Dragons and Honor Among Thieves. That's uh, obviously another, yet another, you know, adaptation of a video game, what have you, with uh, this time with Chris Pine. I don't know, some of the reviews were okay on this, and then some people said it wasn't very good. I don't know, it didn't do very well, and it was kind of a disappointment at the box office. You do get deleted and extended scenes. I think Hugh Grant's in this as well, yeah. From Dice to Dragons, uh, Rogue's Gallery, Fantastic Foes, anyway, Gag Reel, and more, so out on 4k and blu-ray from paramount certified fresh from rotten tomatoes it says so i guess the rating the reviews are uh you know i guess it did do fairly well critically the border incident is a, a film with anthony mand starring ricardo montalban and george murphy this is a warner archive release and it's um it's a it's about a group of guys and their job is to catch the thieves, murderers, and uh, get that out, murderers and money men who prey on illegal aliens desperate to make a few American dollars sweating as farm laborers. So, uh, yeah, this, I uh, don't think there are any new extras here on this one that I'm aware of, uh, but, you know, you always get good transfers with the Warner Archive stuff. So, anyway, Border Incident is one of their releases. And 80 for Brady, another Paramount title. Forgot about this one, the one with uh, all the uh, elder actresses of their generation who are together, Lily Tomlin and Rita Moreno and Sally Field and Jane Fonda. They're all, they all got a thing for Tom Brady, the football star. And, uh, so I don't know exactly what happens after that. Didn't see it. But <laughs> anyway, it's out on Blu-ray from... Uh, from Paramount in a, a blue, in no, no 4K, just a Blu-ray. So anyway, Skyline is a 4K issue from Shout Factory. This is from uh, 19, uh, 2010. And it stars Eric Balfour, and uh, it's a sci-fi film about uh, uh, an extraterrestrial force threatening to swallow the entire human population off the face of the Earth. And anyway, this is, uh, like I said, the first 4K release for Skyline from Shout Factory. I think there are a few new extras here, I believe. Champions is the latest from um, the comedy filmmaker, one of the Fairley Fairley. brothers. Yeah, Peter Fairley. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see this one either. Woody Harrelson is in this. And um, he's a uh, minor league basketball coach who, after a series of missteps, is ordered by the court to manage a team of players with intellectual disabilities. You get a casting reel, feature commentary, deleted scenes, uh, universal issuing this one. It's one of the Focus Features releases, so that has been issued. And um, so we'll move along to A Knock at the Cabin has been issued in 4K, the latest M. Night Shyamalan film. Didn't get a review copy of this one, but uh, nevertheless, it's out there. Um, we have the Superman collection. We'll talk about that one right quick. Superman, the first four films in the franchise. This is the ones with Christopher Reeve, of course. And you get, uh, there, there are a few things to note about this. The first film 
you only get one cut of the first film, whereas there have been several cuts. We have the television version, which is three hours and ten minutes, and then you have the the Richard Donner director's cut, which came out in 2001, which is two hours and 35 minutes, I believe, or something like that. And then the theatrical cut's two hours, 23 minutes. That's the one you get here. You do get two cuts of the second film. You get the Richard Donner version and the original theatrical, and then you get um, Superman 3 and 4, just the plain theatrical cuts on those. All the old extras have been ported over. The transfers look really good on these. I did take a look at them. If you have the 2018 4K release of Superman the movie, you probably want to keep it because it has the original 5.1 70mm audio track from the theatrical release that is not on this one. So just wanted to let you know that for anybody listening who has the original 2018 one. If you're a purist when it comes to the audio, and I know I am, uh, you want to hold on to that one. So um, That's a really funny clip of James Conn being interviewed on the Howard Stern Show from years uh-huh. ago. And he was talking about, because he was up for Superman. And, That's right, he was. Uh, he yeah. was talking about Marlon Brando calling him, saying, Jimmy, please. I mean, I'm not doing a Marlon Brando impression, but Jimmy, please do this movie with me. We're have, we'll have a good time. Come on, Jimmy. And Brent, and Jim, James Conn was like, hey, look, you only have to work like a week. I got I got to stay on the thing for like six months. <laughs> and Brando <laughs> right. was like, we'll figure something out. Yeah, I'm sure it would be fun. Uh, it would be a whole different situation for him. Had he, yeah, and not to mention the sequels and all that. So yeah, and of course that famous all... clip of Re- Christopher Reeve on Letterman talk- uh-huh. talking about how he wasn't impressed at all with Brando. That he just. Oh yeah, I've seen yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, remember that? Wow. That's good. That's. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Pretty rough stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Hand of Death is a, uh, that's a, that's an Arrow release from 1976. One of their, uh, it's, uh, mm, uh, one of these, uh, sword and sorcery films, I guess you would say, directed by John Woo. It's a very early, early film from him. And it's about a, uh, a group of, uh, Shaolin trained together, and their best student is given the task of taking down uh, an evil ruler and his reign of terror. So there are some new extras here. There's um, several uh, comment. I think there's one commentary and some featurettes and maybe a documentary here, I believe, too. So Hand of Death from 1976. That's an Arrow video release. And um, so we'll move along. Let's see. To... Moving up to May 16th, we have uh, the Disney stuff, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, the latest in the Marvel, the latest video release from the Marvel team, I guess you would say. And that has been issued. Uh, 88 films released the uh, four film set in the line of duty, volume uh, parts one through four. This is a Michelle Yeoh, a series of films starring Michelle Yeoh from the... Um, from the mid nineteen mid to late nineteen eighties, they're pretty good. Uh, she's like an undercover cop in each film, uh, taking down, you know, uh, drug traffickers and I don't know what not, but um, good stuff. And it's a very very nice collection here, as you'll see in the video. I I put this one up where people can see the booklet that comes with it and all that stuff. So. Um, uh, the first film is that even though it's called the In the Line of Duty series, it's interesting. The first film is called Royal Warriors. The second one is called Yes, Madam, and then the third and fourth are in the line of duty three and four, which is kind of crazy. But anyway, for some reason they call them in the line of duty. So, and there's uh, a lot of extras here. 
multiple audio tracks, uh, commentaries, archival interviews, uh, just all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's a really nice set. And these are good films. I, I did take these in. They're very short. They're only around 90 minutes. And uh, they're very uh, – a lot of incredible stunts. So in the line of duty, one parts one films. That is a that is another box set that I was lucky enough to get a copy of. Clash by Night uh, stars Barbara Stanwyck, Paul Douglas, Robert Ryan, and Marilyn Monroe. And this is uh, directed by Fritz Lang. I guess I had always I wasn't I didn't know that Fritz Lang had worked with Marilyn Monroe, but I guess you never know, do you? Mm. Uh, this is um. It's about a good time girl, and she's had too much booze, too many men, and she returns to her girlhood home in Monterey, California, and she finds the security as the wife of a devoted and dull fisherman and passion in the arms of his provocative best friend. There's a new, there's a uh, a commentary here by Peter Bogdanovich and an audio interview excerpt of director Fritz Lang talking about the film, so in a theatrical trailer. So Warner Archive, Clash by Night. That's from um, 1952. It's an RKO picture originally. It was. Everything Went Fine is a release from Cohen Media Group starring Sophie Marceau as a woman who's uh, tasked with taking care of her uh, father who's had a stroke and he actually wants to be euthanized. And so she's faced with that choice. Charlotte Rampling also stars in this. I saw this. This was uh, pretty moving, I would say. It's good of its type. Directed by Francois Ozone. And this uh, includes uh, no new extras, just the film. So everything went fine from Cohen Media. And then we have A Good Person starring, this is the uh, uh, it's first film to be written and directed by Zach Braff, I think, since his original, uh, since his first writing, directing debut. I think he's directed a couple films, but I don't think he's directed an original script of his own. Uh, but it's basically about a... Um, a woman who was involved in a tragedy that uh, that took uh, this man's daughter's life, played by Morgan Freeman, and uh, they they bond over this shared tragedy. And supposedly, uh, I didn't get a chance to see it. My son saw it, said it was very moving. He liked it. Uh, a good person. There's no new extras here, but it's out on Blu-ray, no 4K. But, uh, it kind of came and went really quickly, unfortunately. Uh, sometimes the good ones do. And we have The Italian Job from uh, 2003, the remake. That's a Paramount release. They have issued this in 4K, so it has made a leap to 4K. Uh, Superman cartoon collection. These are the Max Fleischer cartoons from 1941 to 43, all 17 of them collected on one Blu-ray disc that runs two hours and 26 minutes. It's the first time they've ever been put together on one disc. They were issued uh, in the uh, Superman box set but unremastered. I thought they looked pretty good. Some people are saying there's too much do, uh, digital noise reduction, not enough fine grain. I don't know. You be the judge. On my system, it looked pretty good. I thought the colors popped. The plots here are very secondary. It's mainly about the artwork that's in these cartoons, and it's very impressive. A couple of more Oscar-nominated. Uh, there are a couple new featurettes, three featurettes on this, but the Superman Max Fleischer cartoons, 1941 to 43, have been issued. And uh, another uh, Warner Archive collection is the Looney Tunes Collector's Choice Volume 1. These are 20 cartoons never issued on Blu-ray before, including such titles as Beanstalk Bunny, Catch Ass, Cat's Can, The Unruly Hair, His Bitter Half, Daffy Doodles, Cracked Quack, etc., and so on. 
two hours and 22 minutes worth of cartoons from the Looney Tune archives. Uh, and uh, they look terrific, I must say. And so we have also Creed 3, the uh, third in the uh, spinoff from the Rocky franchise. I thought it was a pretty solid film myself, to be quite honest. I liked it. And um, this first one directed by Michael B. Jordan. I think it's his directorial debut. I thought he did a pretty good job. The final fight is in- interestingly staged. And I, I gen- generally liked it. So uh, Creed 3, maybe not quite as good as the second one, but... Uh, Pretty good. He's uh, he goes head to head with a a former childhood friend who is now his foe, and that's what the film is about. That's where the drama is derived from. But um, anyway, a few deleted scenes and a couple featurettes is what you get on Creed Three. 4K and Blu-ray release for that one. Then we have Violent Streets. This is um, I think this is let's see who's issuing film movement is issuing this one on blu-ray it's another uh, uh it's from the filmmaker hideo gosha he's an asian filmmaker and it's a uh, crime thriller about the yakuza violent streets about a gangster turned actor who gets pulled back into a life of crime when some of his old cronies demand control of his nightclub uh you get uh, a featurette with the director 16-page booklet with a new essay and a street-can't-be-beat video essay by uh, author Patrick Messias. So, Violent Streets, I think this is from 1974, yes. And we have Samurai Wolf 1 and 2. It's another film movement issue uh, of these two films. And these are directed by, again, again, Hideo Gosha, same director as Violent Streets. So they've released three of his films. This is about a um, a uh, swordsman who becomes um, gets ensnared in a local conflict that becomes more treacherous when a beautiful blind woman enters the picture. And then in the second film, he's entangled in a complex web, web of intrigue involving a crooked gold mine owner. You get uh, another featurette with the director, audio commentary, 20-page booklet. So these are film movement releases, as I said. And so that's that. And I guess there's one more film movement. Yeah, we'll talk about this. Uh, Warm Water Under a Bread Bridge. It's about a woman who has this uh, strange condition where water gushes from her. And I don't think from her private parts. I think it's just literally from her uh, from her body, like her skin. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, it uh, was well-reviewed by such critics as Roger Ebert, who called it an enlightening, even liberating experience. I have not seen it. What's get it around called? To it. Uh, Warm Water Under a Red Bridge, directed by Shohai Imamura. And this uh, has a 16-page booklet with a new essay and a video essay by the film curator Tom Vick. So, there you have it. There you have it for the month? uh, uh, What's that? For the month or just for film movement? Oh, that was film movement. No, no, I'm almost getting it. Endangered Species was... uh, this is directed. Um, uh, this is Robert Altman's protege directed this. Uh, Alan Rudolph. Yeah, it's yeah. about these uh, mysterious disappearances of cattle, and you've got Joe Beth Williams and Robert Urich. Uh, he didn't do a whole lot of big screen films, but this is one of his rare big screen appearances. Paul Dooley also, Hoyt Axton in this, Gaylord Sartain, and Peter Coyote. And I never saw this. Uh, I don't. I thought this was a strange title for them to release, but you know, 
uh, it turned up on cable a lot when I was uh, uh, back in the day, as it as it were. But it's a new uh, special edition from Shout Factory with a few new extras. I think a few new new commentary, a few new featurettes, and so. That's that. Uh, L.A. Wars from 1994 is an MVD Rewind Collection release. Uh, this is a title I think I can remember seeing in the video stores. Not, not sure, but um, and then we're getting down to it here. Shazam! Fury of the Gods has been issued in 4K by Warner Brothers proper. They issued that um, latest DC film to be released on disc. Of course, The Running Man made its 4K debut, cor- uh, courtesy of Lionsgate Home Entertainment. And Brotherhood of the Wolf has been issued in 4K by Scream Factory. And Crank, uh, uh, has from 2006, has been issued uh, by Lionsgate as well. So we have that one making its 4K debut. And um, let's see, just a few more things here. Down to the last uh, release day of the month, May 30th. There were quite a few this day. There was The Last Starfighter getting its 4K release from Arrow Video. It's been previously issued on Blu-ray, so no new extras. Just the uh, carryovers from the old Blu-ray edition, but... A lot of people are fond of The Last Starfighter, so it is being issued. You have Cliffhanger from 1993, Stallone, of course, getting a 4K. I think it's been issued in a steelbook edition that went out of print, but being reissued here. Uh, from uh, that's tri- uh, I think that's Sony it's inter- releasing that, I believe. People Under the Stairs from Wes Craven, a film that I never was really fond of, although for some reason it has a, a, uh, has a loyal following. I guess people who don't know any better, but <laughs> who's to say? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Scream Factory is releasing this, uh, the 1991 horror film, with so I think a few new extras. Maybe no, I don't think the extras are new. I think they previously issued this on Blu-ray, and it's just they're carrying over stuff. I think. Uh, so we have the 65, the recent uh, film with Adam Driver where he's battling dinosaurs, being issued on 4K as well. That's a Sony release. And The Haunting from 1999, not the original, uh, but the the, uh, the Haunting has been issued on 4K from Paramount. That was originally a DreamWorks title. They control that library now. Maximum Overdrive being issued in a limited edition steelbook from 1986 via Lionsgate with the previous extras being ported over. You have The Nutty Professor from Paramount getting issued on 4K. The original 1963 film, I was told that this really looks great. I want to pick this up eventually. Didn't get a review copy. No review copies were made, uh, unfortunately, for anybody. So we didn't. none of us got this one, but I, I hear that it looks great. So Anyway, King Solomon's Mines from 1950. Oh, and there's quite a few extras on The Nutty, Nutty Professor, by the way. I failed to mention that. So it's a lot of like uh, rehearsal footage and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, the King Solomon's Mines, filmed in Technicolor and starring Deborah Carr and Stuart Granger. This is based on the Rudyard Kipling uh, story, of course. Oh, I'm sorry, not not Rudyard Kipling. This is H. Ryder Haggard. Sorry, I uh, was looking at something else. Um, anyway, uh, it's considered to be one of the uh, the movie guide calls it one of the most majestically filmed adventure tales ever put on celluloid. This includes a vintage MGM behind-the-scenes short subject, Jungle Safari, and a theatrical trailer. 
So uh, King Solomon's Mines getting issued by Warner Archive, along with The Boy with Green Hair, starring Dean Stockwell, a boy whose hair turns green. It's a parable about uh, tolerance and treating people who look differently the same as yourself and having compassion, all that stuff. Uh, I remember seeing this when I was a kid. I tried watching it again here. This is a... The film's only 80 minutes, and his hair doesn't turn green until almost 40 minutes into the film. So it's a little sluggishly paced, I think, yeah. personally. And there are musical interludes that uh, really didn't resonate with, with me. But it looks great. I will say this. The transfer is spectacular. So Garbo, Greta Garbo starring in Queen Christina from 1933. And this also getting a Blu-ray issue from Warner Archive. Really great transfer there on that. The limited edition Transformers steelbook set which includes all of the transformers films from 2007 to 2018 getting uh released by paramount it's a really spectacular box set that uh i know the films aren't that aren't my cup of tea but for people who i, I got it and it really looks great as far as the set goes so for people who are fans of the transformer films uh that has been issued as well hey there yo it's yogi bear the first animated feature film from the Hanna Barbera Studios getting issued by Warner Archive in on Blu-ray format. Again, I'm told that this looks uh, really good. I didn't get a review copy of this one, but uh, The Morning After from 1986, starring Jeff Bridges and Jane Fonda. Was this was this Alan Pakula or was it Sidney no, Lumet? Okay, I, I knew it was on the it? I didn't get a review copy, so I'm not sure. I think there may be a few new ones here. I think I remember seeing a review. Not really 100% sure, but anyway, it has been issued on Blu-ray from Shout Factory. And we have The Courtship of Eddie's Father, which was later turned into a television show with Bill Bixby. This is the original film starring Ronnie Howard and Glenn Ford. Basically, Glenn Ford's a recently widowed man who is uh, his son's trying to find him a, 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 a new wife. And you've got several women who are uh, trying to fill that role. There's Stella Stevens, Dina Merrill, um, also Shirley Jones. So yeah, it's 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 okay. Uh, the colors really pop though. We'll say this directed by Vincent Minnelli, and it lo- really looks great. There's a vintage MGM cartoon Penthouse Mouse commentary by Shirley Jones, Dina Merrill, and Stella Stevens. Two of those are unfortunately no longer with us. And the theatrical trailer. So uh, there was all that. And Spinning Gold, the recent biopic about the life and times of uh, Neil Bogart, who was the uh, impresario who founded uh, Casablanca Records. I saw this in the theater, and it's a, it was really a letdown for me. wasn't uh, really uh, – I thought it was a missed opportunity directed by his son, and it's just a lot of bad wigs and a lot of bad green screen and just uh, really missed opportunities with this one. But if you're curious about the life and times of Neil Bogart – it is available via Universal on Blu-ray. And uh, I think that may be all of the titles for the month of May. I'm, I think we've covered them all. I think that is okay. that is it. <laughs>